0: is the reality of Jesus in our souls, one who suffered and bled and died for us on Calvary, who lives even now to make us whole. Lord, we pray that you bless the preparation and proclamation of this word today. May you be glorified to people blessed. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen say amen. Thank you so much choir and ushers for all that you have done and worship today and you my brothers and sisters in Christ. I turn your attention once again to Acts chapter 15 as we make our way preaching a series of sermons through the book of Acts. Last week we concluded with verse 5. This week we will pick up with verse 6 which was all has already been read. But I want to turn your attention to verses 10 and 11 of Acts chapter 15. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they And then Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to preach today from this subject, testimony from the table. Today is Communion Sunday, and every time we come to the table and receive the bread and the cup, it is a testimony. And so today we want to talk about testimony from the table. Last week, as we concluded our message, Paul and Barnabas (coughs) were standing toe-to-toe with a group of Judaizers from Judea who were insisting that the recently saved Gentiles had to get circumcised in order for their salvation to be complete. Paul and Barnabas were adamantly opposed to this teaching, which was false teaching. And Paul and Barnabas insisted, I mean, they flat out insisted emphatically That faith in Jesus Christ alone was all that it took for the Gentiles to be saved. In fact, that's all it took for the Gentiles or anyone else, for that matter, to be saved, to have our sins forgiven, to be brought into a right relationship with God. It's all about that relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, the dissension and the dispute was so great between Paul and Barnabas and these uh, men who had come down from Judea until the decision was made that the parties in conflict carry the matter up to Jerusalem and present to the apostles and the elders the question, is Jesus all it takes. I feel like preaching this now. They were in this dispute, they were in this debate. They they couldn't they couldn't work that thing out. They they, they were in a, a deadlock and so and so the decision was made that they go up to Jerusalem and pose the question to the apostles really, is Jesus enough? The question. Was, of course, is faith alone in Jesus Christ enough to be saved? Or is circumcision or something else needed to complete the process? That was the question on the floor. That, that's what the debate was all about. That's, what the, that's where the contention was. And so after being sent on their way, Paul and Barnabas, the Bible says, travel uh, through the cities of Phoenicia and Samaria, and as they traveled through, they were, they were describing how the Gentiles were coming to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And as they spread the good news that Gentiles were being saved and, and how they were being saved through Christ alone, uh, the people of the cities who heard them, the Bible says, greatly rejoice. And you know why they were rejoicing? The Gentiles were rejoicing because finally, at last, we can get in. All before, we've been told that we were not good enough and we couldn't follow the rules and the regulations. And all before, they called us half-breeds and dogs. But but now, because of Jesus. So they were rejoicing. They, they were saying, we, we could get in now. It's kind of like when, when we came to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Some of us have been told that we would never get in. Some of us have told, were told that we would never fit in. Some of us have been told we would never be nothing. But, but one day we heard the joyful sound that Jesus says. And we heard perhaps them even singing that he saves even me. His blood can make the is clean. It is his blood. Atone for me. Oh, happy day. We found out that even we could get in. Y'all as messed up as we were, as unholy as we were, and, uh, as wicked as we were, as deceitful as we were, out of all of the stuff that we had done, That we could get in because his blood was enough. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me hold again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So these Gentiles were off the chain, y'all. They heard we, we can get in now. So notice in verse 4, and when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. The folk were glad to see them, and they reported all things that God had done through them. And I like this, because when they got there to Jerusalem, they reported all things that God had done. Through them, they, they were not talking about what all they had done. They were careful to tell the people that God did it. And listen, good hope, we, we ought to get into practice of, of, of telling folk whatever measure of success we have at this church. It, it ain't about how good we are and about how smart we are and about how educated we are and about how much experience we have. But whatever God allows good to happen here, it's because of his grace. We ought to be telling folks, it's it's about what God has done through Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church. Then Jesus said, John 15 and 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man abides in me, if a woman abides in me, you can bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, y'all, we can't do nothing without Jesus. Oh, yeah, we can come here and go through the motions and have religious recreation and spiritual gymnastics. But without Jesus, it doesn't mean one thing. Without Jesus, ain't nobody getting saved. Ain't nobody growing in Christ without Jesus. So they were telling if they were telling the church and the apostles and the elders this is what God had done through them. Now, does verse 4 sound familiar to you? It should because you heard almost the same exact thing last week when we talked about verse Acts 14 and verse 27, where Paul and Barnabas arrived at Antioch, y'all remember that, gathered the church together, and again reported all that God had done through them. Not long ago, they had been telling the folk in Antioch, now they're in Jerusalem with the same story. Now that they have. Move from Antioch to Jerusalem. They are making the same missions report in Jerusalem that they made in Antioch. And guess what happened? You got it. Opposition. As soon as they began to talk about what God was doing, as soon as they were talking about how good God had been, they faced opposition. Look at verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believe rose up. That means they got up in the face of the apostles and began to talk. Rose up in the face of the assembly. This is what they said. It is necessary to circumcise them. What they're saying in Paul and Barnabas is, we don't care what you say. We, we don't make any difference what you've been saying. This is what we say. I know you've been talking about Jesus alone, and that's all you need, but but we're telling you that there's something else in order for them to be saved, they got to be circumcised. Says so it's necessary. Not only that, and command them to keep the laws of Moses. Now, does that sound familiar to you? It should. Because look back at verse 1 of chapter 15, and certain men, we talked about this last week, and certain men came down from Judea, they made the 300-mile trip from Judea down to Antioch and taught the brethren, what did they teach them? Unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now let me point out something here in the text that's very important, something that the casual eye, the casual reader would miss. Here it is. The group pushing the hot button of circumcision in verse 1 is different from the group pushing the hot button of circumcision in verse 5. Y'all tracking with me? We got we got Bible students in the house. All right, all right, here it is. The group in verse 1, according to Luke's description of them, were not saved. Yeah. The the, the group in in, in verse 1, according to Luke's description of them, were not saved. That's right. They were in church. They were a part of the fellowship. They assume, get this, they assume the role of teaching. Nobody made them teachers. They assume the role of teaching. They were teaching the brethren that circumcision was necessary. So they were teaching, but they were not born again believers in Jesus Christ. Well, how do you know? We know, by the way, Luke. Identifies them. Luke refers to them in verse 1. Look at the text. As men. You see that? And certain men came down from Judea. What Luke is saying is that they are certain men without any spirituality or relationship with Jesus Christ. He said they just men. They, they are just mortal men. Luke says they're men who taught the brethren, not as believers. Notice he didn't say they are believers in Jesus Christ who taught the brethren. Now, by contrast, notice how Luke describes the group in verse 5, saying, but some of the Pharisees who what? Believed. You see the difference? In verse 1, they're just men. But in verse 5, Luke says, Who believe rose up, saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the laws of Moses. Now, interestingly enough, Luke records the non believers in verse 1 and the believers in verse 5 as essentially saying the same thing. Y'all don't miss that. Here it is, we got the non-believers in verse 1 saying the same thing that the believers are saying in verse 5. Now here's a question for you. Put it on your theological thinking caps. Could it be that the troublemakers in verse 1, the false teachers in verse 1, could it be that those who opposed and sought to discredit Paul and Barnabas' teaching in verse 1, could it be that they had influenced the believers in verse 5? I'm just saying, y'all. I'm just saying. I'm just, I just want you to think about it. I, I think Luke put that out I, I there. I want you to just think about it. Could it be that they had influenced the believers? in verse 5, to join their cause. Although such would appear to be the case, and although Luke doesn't spell it out for sure, what we do know is that the men from verse 1, don't miss this, are somewhere lurking in the background, as the believers in verse 5 raised the issue of circumcision to the ears of the apostles and to the ears of the elders. Now, ain't that something? As I was preparing this, I couldn't help again but think about Dr. Lampkin, that 90-year-old mentor of mine when I was pastoring first church after I retired from the military. And he said to me, pick it, be careful. Son, be careful not to allow people to use your hands to pick Peanuts. I defy. And here it is, a group from verse 1, nowhere to be found. But it's the believers in verse 5 that's pushing their agenda. Are y'all looking at this text? All right, all right. Footnote. And this is for all of us and our young people in the house. I always examine. The source of the information. Y'all checking with me? This churchy right here, this church stuff. God wants his people to be wise. Always examine the source of the information. Listen, y'all, that means ask tough questions. Questions such as what kind of what type of reputation Do they have what what kind of reputation do they have? If you're talking about Jesus and ministry and the affairs of the church, ask the tough question: how committed are they to living a Christ-like life characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? Y'all know that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Faithfulness, self-control. How, how committed are they? That's that's the, that's the first one. Types. How committed are they uh, in their participation and giving to the church? How, how, how dedicated are they in as far as being committed to uh, participating and giving? to the church for the work of evangelism that's spreading the gospel, discipleship, and mission. All right, if you're talking about marriage and folk giving out advice, you ask a tough question. How long you been married? And not only that, you look and see how do they treat each other. All right, all right. Listen. Is he giving out advice, but he's giving out advice, but is he the priest in his house? leading his wife and his children to worship and teaching them from the biblical text and setting a good example, a right example of what a godly man ought to be. Yeah. Is he providing? Is he a p- good provider? Other words, other words, he's giving you advice, but when you look at his wife, how does she look? Is she dressed up fine? Is she looking good? Is the car she riding in? Is it nice? Is it well kept? It ain't got to be brand new, but it ought to be clean and well kept. Is he he the protector in his house? He's giving you advice, but is he protecting his wife and protecting his family? Is he standing in the gap? Is he saying, sweetheart, you ought not go that route? All right. It, it, how about how about the wife? She giving out advice. Is she is she a virtuous woman? Can the heart of her husband trust her? If you're talking if you're talking about that, can the heart of her husband trust her? Can he trust how she dress when she leaves the house? Can he trust what he she puts on the Internet, on Facebook? Can he trust it? And speaking of trust, y'all, I, 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 I don't have no. Now this is just picket. This is a picketism. I don't have no phone or nothing else where my wife doesn't have the password. Th- that's a picketism. Now I ain't saying you got to do that to go to heaven. <laughs> And I can leave my cell phone on the dresser, give it to my wife, and say, answer the calls at any time. She can scroll through after even my Internet, even my Internet password. She knows it. I don't have no bank account, no nothing, no no bank account, nothing where her name is not on it. I'm just saying, y'all. Alright, so okay. all right, Pastor, let's move on. <laughs> if you if you all right, <laughs> if you're talking about jobs, y'all, if you talking about if you're talking about jobs and careers, and folk are giving out advice, like the folk in verse one, perhaps. If you're talking about jobs and career, how well are they doing on their job? Is it working for them? Do they have longevity on the job? You know, when I was growing up, that people would get the five-year pin, you know, the 10-year pin. Well, here's another question asked. H- how are they doing with longevity? Do they, uh, do they have any tenure, five-year pin, 10-year pin, 20-year pin, benefits, retirement? You know, one of the grave dangers in life, in, in life, one of the grave dangers, even for our, our, us, as well as our young people, our school age, young people, one of the grave dangers in life, whether it's in the church, uh, in marriage, in family, school, career, is listening to and following the counsel of people who are neither qualified right. nor capable. Of providing God ordained guidance. Because everybody that's talking, they ain't qualified. And they ain't capable of providing God ordained guidance. Even folk that folk are watching on television. They might have a big show and a lot of money, can dress up good, say the right things, but biblically they are not capable or qualified to provide ordained guidance. So verse 5 challenges us as believers in Jesus Christ, y'all, to make wise choices concerning whose counsel we receive listen, when it comes to taking advice from people, even when dealing uh, with family members and church members, we should always hold what they say, the counsel they give, the advice they share, the recommendations they make, the opinions they float. We should always hold it up to the light and the standard of God's word. Now, obviously, the Pharisees who believed in verse 5 failed to do their homework by thoroughly checking out the source of the controversy in verse 1. The source of the controversy, they failed to check out the source, which were the men in verse 1. But not only did they fail to thoroughly check out the source, the men in verse 1, they failed to adequately research the subject. Are y'all checking with me? They fail, right? They fail to check out the source, but they also fail to adequately research the subject. Because had they dug deep enough? Had they studied long enough? Had they talked with the right people, they would have clearly seen that when Jesus hung on that cross and sacrificed his body and shed his blood on the cross, they would have known that out of the mouth of Jesus, from the lips these words flowed, it is, tell me what he said, Finish. They would have checked it out. They would have known that circumcision or nothing else was needed because Jesus said, it is finished. You can't add nothing to it. You can't take away anything from it. So by failing to do diligence, the group in verse 5 were duped, deceived, hoodwinked into being part of the problem instead of being part of the solution. Everybody say, I want to be a part of the solution. Amen. I want to be a part of the solution. So in order to be a part of the solution, I got to consider the source. Where's the information coming from? And then also, I got to research the subject. I got to know what I'm talking about. See, one of the reasons y'all, y'all, I I mean, when I come when I come here, I want to make sure I know what I'm talking about when I'm preaching. Because you know, back in the day when I was growing up, sometimes the preacher was the only one that had a college education. But now, even if you don't have a college education, you got Google. <laughs> You can check it out. You got Bible commentaries and Bible research. You can research. So now, y'all, we got to know what we're talking about. People ain't just going for nonsense, those that are serious. So here's a truism. It's always better to thoroughly investigate the source and adequately research the subject before jumping on the bandwagon. Make sure, here we go, y'all. This is going to help you. Make sure the wagon has the right driver. <laughs> Make sure the wagon got the right driver. Because everybody's sitting in the driver's seat on the wagon, they ain't qualified. <laughs> So that's the first thing. Make sure the the wagon you get on has the right driver, and then secondly, make sure it's headed in the right direction before you get home. (laughs) Amen, Jesus. (laughs) So here we are, y'all, in verse 6. The controversy, the contention, the confusion has been brought before the Jerusalem council where the apostles and the elders are called upon to weigh in and settle the matter. So why the apostles? Because the apostles, y'all, had credibility. They had been with Jesus. And so the people said, if there's anybody that ought to know, it ought to be the apostles who've been with Jesus, it ought to be the elders who've been taught by the apostles. Help me, somebody. And so the first apostle to speak was Peter. Now, Peter had credibility in that for three years he had walked with Jesus, he had taught with Jesus, and he had personally heard Jesus speak to him in John twenty-one seventeen, saying, Peter, feed my sheep. He credibility y'all God had called him and told him what to say now now to be sure if Jesus told him to feed my sheep Jesus gave him what to feed on. I mean I don't think we got no mother in the house who would have left her baby in the hands of people With a baby bag, back in the day, you had baby bags. Y'all remember that, some of us, baby bags and pampers and powder and all of that, but didn't put any formula in there. And then tell the babysitter, you know, to feed my baby. No, so what Jesus did, he gave Peter what to give to the people. Peter was a qualified spokesman. On behalf of Jesus. So it was in verses seven and nine, Peter walked through five points of truth that presented an ironclad case for being saved by faith alone in Christ. So watch this. In verse seven, Peter declares God chose his mouth to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And they believe what Peter said is God called me to preach. I preached and they got saved. Peter said, preaching Jesus alone was God's idea and not man's. You see, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life was not the idea of humanity. That was God's idea. Verse 8, Peter declares, God who knows the heart. But he's saying, you know, y'all don't know nobody how are You talk about the Gentile, but God knows the heart. God who knows the heart, watch this, acknowledged, that means recognized, accepted the Gentiles in his family through faith alone in Jesus and did what? Gave them the Holy Spirit as he did to us. Peter said, y'all can't deny it. These folk are spirit-filled, just like we were spirit-filled. Y'all can't deny it. The proof is in the pudding. You might want to reject their salvation by faith alone, but you can't do it. Verse 9, Peter declares that God makes no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Peter says it is faith in Jesus Christ alone that purifies, watch this, sanitizes, disinfects, cleans the hearts of the Gentiles. Peter says it ain't about circumcision or keeping the law, none of that. The only thing that can purify a person's heart is a relationship with Jesus Christ alone. And in verse 10, Peter reasons with the Judaizers by asking them, to soul, by asking them a soul-searching and penetrating question, Peter asked them, so why do you test God? Why are you trying God? Why do you have the audacity to try God like that by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Peter said, your father couldn't keep the law. His father couldn't keep the law. You can't keep the law. I can't keep the law. So how are you going to predicate salvation upon the law? You can't do it. Peter's question must have sent shockwaves down the spines of those who heard him as he challenged them and us to come to the realization that none of us, none of us can keep the law. Aside from the cleansing blood of Jesus, all of us are doomed. Verse 11, Peter rounds third base and heads for home with the words, but we believe. Peter said we believe, we meaning the apostles believe. We, meaning those who walk with Jesus, believe. We, meaning those who talk with Jesus, believe. We, meaning those who were minted by the master and led by the Lord, we believe based upon what he said to us and showed us from the scriptures, we believe that through the grace of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they, meaning the Gentiles. By saying we shall be saved like them and and not that they shall be saved like us. By placing the Gentiles first and making them a model of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Peter was knocking down their walls of superiority. That complex they had of thinking that they were the only ones that had it right. Peter was knocking down the superiority complex wall, the spiritual elitist wall, the wall of self-righteousness that had been lodged in the minds of the Pharisees for decades. With that one verse, with that one argument, Peter knocked it down and said, it ain't about that. It ain't about it ain't, it ain't about what you do it how you do it it's all about Jesus christ alone now once you get saved you will do good works but good works will not save you